Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes. You'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Good morning, TK. Good morning, Cameron. How are you? Oh, I'm excited. How are you? Good. What are you excited about? Nothing in particular. (laughs) It's just Monday. Highly caffeinated? Uh, Yeah, a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Did you have a good weekend? Yes, thank you. Very nice. Nice and relaxing, actually. All right. Well, uh, we've got a guest coming on this morning. Let me dial him in. Good morning, Cameron. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? (laughs) I don't know why I'm talking like that this morning. I'm all all caffeinated up. I'm good. How are you? That that was a little bit reminiscent of, um, you know, that episode of Seinfeld where they thought they were talking out their belly buttons or something. Hello. Yes, very funny. How are you, Tony? Good, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Surviving uh, relative freedom up here in Queensland. It's uh, a good state to be in. Yeah, you guys are lucky. We we had a case in Chippendale yesterday, which is not too far from where I am. Is that that's, that's the male strippers? <laughs> <laughs> no, the suburb. Oh, right. In the city suburb, yeah. It's near where you are? Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, it was near where you stayed when you were down here, Ultimo, so it's in oh, that right. kind of area. Right. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, Stephen, you've got some big news uh, that uh, you want to share with our audience? I do, I do. As, as you know, I'm a shameless self-promoter, Ken, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not promoting myself this time. This is, um, yeah, just something I thought maybe some of the, the listeners and, and subscribers might uh, might be interested in, so... I was fortunate to be um, elected to the board of the Australian Shareholders Association a month or two ago. Oh, thank, thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. 
Yeah, and I know you've attended one of the meetings, Cam, so you had a bit of a bit of an idea about what it's all about. But yeah, I mean, I joined up a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, I've found it fairly, you know, helpful and beneficial to my investing and my education. Um, but one of the things that I'm sure a lot of new investors or maybe less experienced investors find is, you know, once you start buying some companies, you get all these letters in the mail about, you know, proxy forms and voting at AGMs and all that kind of stuff. And I really didn't know what to do with them. So I, you know, generally just kind of threw them in the bin. Um, but uh, having, you know, spent a bit of time with the ASA now and ASA meetings, and that kind of stuff, I, I slowly figured out that they did know what to do about it for the most part for retail shareholders. So that's probably one of the biggest advantages I see to, to being part of it is that um, they're kind of mon monitoring, they call it, roughly the top 200 companies. So so that ASX 200 list, most of those companies, there's someone from ASA, a volunteer that goes along and, and meets with the board, um, normally the chair and maybe one or two of the directors each year. Um, before their AGM and talks to them about, you know, the things they're planning to vote on and the things they're planning to do at the AGM. And then after that, you know, they prepare kind of voting intentions on behalf of all the ASA members that have given the ASA their proxies or their vote, basically. So, so it's a way for, you know, someone else, I guess, to do the hard work of looking at what your company that your holdings planning to do and whether that's in the best interests of their retail shareholders, um, and then them voting accordingly if you want to, uh, you know, offer the ASA your votes for that company. So that's something that I did before I really got into it, and you know, I thought, oh well, someone's looking at it; it's probably better than not. Um, and uh, yeah, that's 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 I guess an added benefit you get from being a member that um, you know you wouldn't get if you if you were just you know tossing the tossing the papers in the bin. So I don't know how you feel about that, Tony, but I kind of thought that was an advantage as a, a little retail shareholder to have you know someone sticking up for for my rights most of the time. How, how on average how how big would the voting block be that the ASA controls in proxies? Yeah, so we're normally somewhere between the tenth and twentieth largest shareholder. So okay. you know, collectively, all the proxies together, there's a, actually about four billion dollars worth of proxies is what the you know the ASA votes each year now. So it's a lot collectively, but on each individual company, um, it's we're generally I think somewhere between the you know tenth and twentieth largest shareholding. Mm -hmm. And the chairs and the, the um, directors are, are normally very keen to meet with us because they, you know, they do want a good relationship. I think most of the time with their retail shareholders, even if you know, they don't necessarily pay attention to every individual retail shareholder. They they certainly, I think most of them value having a healthy relationship with retail shareholders. So, so they, you know, they certainly listen and, and take feedback when, when our monitors meet with them. And it doesn't mean they always change what they're planning to do, but, but there's certainly been plenty of things over the years that, um, that I think we've made some progress on by the sounds of it with boards and, you know, how they treat their retail shareholders. What, what would some of those things be, do you think? Well, I think capital raisings is one of the big ones. Mm. You know, when there's companies out there doing capital raisings, um, and they, you know, in the past particularly, they'd often only do a, you know, a raising with the institutions, and they wouldn't, you know, give anything to their to their retail shareholders. So we, you know, voiced quite strongly, I think, over the years that that wasn't fair, and that you know they should be treating. 
their retail shareholders in a similar or the same way to, to their institutions in terms of the discount and the opportunity to buy shares in a capital raising, that kind of thing. And increasingly that, that happens now. That We also lobbied, I think, the ASX pretty hard, the, you know, the listing um, group to uh, increase the size of the share placement plan or the SPP. For, so it, it increased from, I think, $15,000 to $30,000 last year. Which means if you've got, you know, a sizable holding in one of these companies, you can, you know, now apply for twice the amount of shares in a raising as you used to be able to. So, you know, a few things like that, I think, around capital raisings where, you know, we're getting treated generally a, a bit better than we might have in the past and, you know, have a better chance than we might have in the past to, to not be d- diluted too much compared to some of the institutions. Is there, is there any way of somehow amalgamating those shareholders for capital raising so that, I mean, the issue from the board's point of view is always that it's much easier to, to talk to a dozen large fund managers than it is to talk to a, a, a thousand retail shareholders Absolutely. And, and to get things away quickly. So is there any way that the ASA can, can somehow you know, act, act as one in those kinds of capital raisings? And, and you know somehow i'm just thinking aloud here somehow act like an institutional fund in terms of capital raisings yeah that's a good question i don't i don't know that we've ever thought about that i mean there is there is definitely a lot of you know privacy concerns so like when we go and vote proxies we actually don't know whose proxies we're voting we just get it from the registry that you know there's 100,000 shares from ASA members that you'll vote as the proxy representative. So so we don't get to see people's individual holdings because I think some people are concerned about, you know, the ASA knowing exactly how many shares they've got. So that that, that might be an issue. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's a good question. I'll dig into that with the um, the, the um, team in our corporate office in Sydney that look after that. We It's mostly a volunteer organisation, of course, yeah. and not for profit. But, yeah. but there are, you know, five or six very smart high quality people in our office in Sydney that, you know, that are paid and that work on these kinds of issues and, you know, policy issues and stuff. Dig into that. It's a good question. Mm. Yeah, I must admit, I think the ASA will will only ever sort of gain a lot of relevance is if it can sort of muscle in on the institutions in some way, almost act like a a trade union for retail shareholders. Yeah. and, And somehow gain some leverage with the boards. Yeah, exactly. And then that's kind of, you know, part of why I joined. I thought, well, this is a really good organisation, but it's, you know, still relatively small in terms of the number of members. There's probably a lot of retail shareholders out there that don't know much about it, that, you Mm -hmm. know, for what is pretty nominal cost, I think it's like $130 a year to be a member. But, you know, there's probably a lot of folks out there that, you know, could join or you know would join if they knew what it what it offered and uh, you know then again if we had more proxies and we had a bigger membership base we'd be even more you know I guess important to 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 those boards so um, so that's part of why I thought I'd join and, and see if I could help out in that area um, and I think you know the other the other couple of little things they do that that I found helpful is there's a lot of local meetings in the capital cities so you can go along and meet with some other investors and hear from, you know, a guest speaker once a month when we're back to having physical meetings. And, uh, you know, I've learned some good things from talking to some other investors and, you know, hearing some of those fund managers, et cetera, speak. No, not as much as I've learned on QAV, of course, but, uh, but, you know, still learn some good stuff. Um, So, you you know, there is a bit of a community of other investors out there because I I don't know whether you found this, Tony, but I've, you know, I personally found that can be a little bit lonely sometimes, right? Being a, a, yeah. an investor or a full-time investor, so it's it's nice to have you know 
once or twice a month someone else to go and talk to um, that's interested in the same things you are. And, um, you know, they also do a, a conference once a year that um, I found really good last year. It's like a two- or three-day event in Sydney or Melbourne each year and, you know, a lot of really smart people come and speak at that. So, you know, that could be a I think for, for you and Cam to potentially come and talk to the members because there's a lot of value-minded investors I've found within ASA, um, but I don't think the majority of them have a, a really sophisticated checklist or QAV process. So, you know, it could be good to get you guys along to talk to them at, at some point in the future at one of those conferences where hundreds of people come along. Yeah, sure. What's what's the profile of those conferences? I mean, I, uh, I haven't looked at the ASA. I'm not a member, I have to say. I haven't looked at the ASA for maybe 20 years. Um, and it was probably more when I was at your stage. I'm not, no, don't know exactly what your stage is, but when I was an earlier earlier stage investor, that I had the same sort of you know questions you do, and was casting around for groups I could join and things like that. Uh, but at that stage, the ASA was almost like a retirement investors club. So people were mostly con- concerned about their dividends and their franking credits more than anything else, really. Yeah, well, there's still a lot of retired or approaching retirement folks within it, but the average member's got a portfolio over a million dollars. So so they're actually, you know, a lot of pretty smart and, and fairly, you know, sizable portfolios within the membership base from the surveys that we've done. Um, and I think, you know, they're increasingly... Uh, picking up that it's not just all about dividends and that, you know, there is other ways to invest now and other ways to, um, you know, to grow your wealth. So so at the conference, those are the kind of things that are talked about now. You know, there's generally, um, you know, probably 30 or 40 different speakers over the couple of days and, you know, that often there'll be two or three speakers running concurrently and you can just pick which session you want to go to, which mm-hmm. I interesting so you know there's people talking about bonds and there's people talking about international stocks and there's people talking about commodities and you know like there's lots of different topics that are covered over the two or three day um, event and then some you know some good keynote speakers came in so last year there was uh, the chief economist from HSBC I think it was that I found really interesting and um, on the on the final day they they had a panel in with the the chairs of Telstra and the chair of GrainCorp and the chair of CSL. So that was really interesting to kind of, you know, have all the retail investors, I guess, asking questions of those, you know, those guys and what they thought about, you know, where Australia was headed and topics like that. So, yeah, it's um, I found it a really valuable couple of days and certainly increased my, my knowledge. Mm. Oh, you've convinced me. Send me a form and I'll sign up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't signed up for a long time because, uh, yeah, my my – point of view is if I don't like what the company's doing, I'll sell the shares um, yeah. rather, than, rather than try and vote a, a, a block of shares and change it, uh, which is a you know a bit like tilting at windmills for um, small shareholders. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a go. Send me a form and I'll sign up. No problem. Thanks. Andy. Yeah, no, I'm conscious of that too. I mean, I think we're all realistic that, um, you know, if a small group of retail shareholders on their own are not going to change every board's decision or every company's decision. But but I do, again, I do think that particularly those companies we monitor, um, the fact that there's a dialogue going on is helping. There's, there's discussion between, you know, the groups, which otherwise wouldn't happen if there was no one monitoring or no one going and talking to them. It would be much easier to ignore a thousand individual retail shareholders than it would if someone was coming along and meeting with you and then turning up at the AGM and voting and potentially getting quoted in the AFR and all those kinds of things. Mm. So, so, yeah, I think for the most part they're, they're at least open to listen and, and keen to, uh, you know, to try and have a really positive relationship if it's possible. So there, there's a bit of difference being made there, I think, now. Okay. Which is, 
There you go, ladies and gentlemen. The world's greatest salesman, Steve Mab, just <laughs> I've, sold I've Tony Kynaston on an ASA <laughs> membership. On that's there's a demonstration of how it's done there. On the there you go. You get you got to hear that in person. Well, I'm an unemployed shoe salesman now, Cam, so I had to reach back to some of my skills. You should get, you should get that on, on a business card, Steve. Unemployed shoe salesman. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, look, really appreciate the time, guys. Again, really enjoying all the episodes. And, um, yeah, as I mentioned to you last week, Cam, my QAV portfolio is doing well. So, you know, love what you guys are doing. And uh, do you want to do, do you want to talk a little bit more about what you mean by well, Stephen? You want to? How much do you want to reveal to people about what your journey's yeah, sure. been like so far? I, I think you know. To be honest, I, I picked up on the podcast. I think maybe in January, so it's only like five or six months really that I've been tuning in hard and you know learning. But um, I think I, I probably made a few mistakes in the first few months as I started to apply it. I you know probably messed up a few scores and messed up a few three-point trend lines and things. So um, I definitely had a you know a bit of an up and down first couple of months, even despite COVID. I'm just talking like how my QAV portfolio was doing relative to the to the all odds. But the last probably the last three months, I think I've been applying it really well and I'm, you know, very comfortable with the, the checklist and the scoring process and, the, you know, the three-point trends most of the time. So, yeah, over the last, you know, three or four months, I think uh, when I looked on Friday maybe it was, um, I think my QOV portfolio is up about 23% versus the All Lords is up about 9% over the same period. So, um, not saying that to Skype or anything. I just mean like what I'm what I'm doing seems to be working, and um, you know I'm, I'm tracking well ahead of the index now over the same period, which was my whole motivation to do it in the first place. So yeah, really happy, and obviously going to keep trying to apply it well going forward. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's always been my objective to get to get double market. That's I think that's what you need to get to make it worthwhile. Yeah, and I'm putting in a lot. I have to say, I'm putting in a lot of time. I'm, I'm probably spending a couple of hours a day. Um, right. You know, either learning or reviewing or updating, you know, numbers. Um, I'm not, you know, filtering every day or anything, but I just when I'm putting a couple of hours a day into reading and, you know, looking at the the announcements coming out from the companies on my checklist and watch list and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not I'm not passive, that's for sure. I'm definitely putting time in, but happy to put that time in to get that kind of result. So yeah, thank you for everything you share. So, Stephen, no, you. if you were um, in a situation where you were going to um, pitch QAV, the perp- like I'm not talking about the podcast, but the value of having a system like this to an investor who knew nothing about it, can you can you put it in your own words for me? I'm always interested to see how other people explain it. Well, I have been pitching it. I've been talking to lots of the people at the ASA meetings that I go to because, again, as I mentioned, some of them, you know, uh, uh, certainly consider themselves value-type investors, but they don't have – a lot of them don't have checklists or don't have processes like that, I find. So I have been pitching it as, hey, you really should tune into this podcast and listen to what Tony's doing. And my pitch has really firstly been about Tony's results that, you know, over 20 years he's been getting, you know, this kind of return – um, so clearly, you know, for his process and, and his system, value investing isn't dead because I keep reading those articles every day <laughs> as well. And I was just, I was actually just looking at it this morning. I mean, I think you guys might have mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, the index that lots of these people reference for value 
is called this MSCI Australia Value Index. And I went and that's what Stock Doctor use when they show the value line versus the quality line or the growth line when they're tracking performance. And I went and had a look at it. I mean, there's 30 companies in that MSCI Australia Value Index, and it's basically just the top 30 market cap stocks on the ASX. You know, it's the five banks, it's BHP, it's West. I mean, nothing wrong with those companies, but they're clearly not what QAV pulls up as value. Mm. So. I've been talking to people a lot about, you know, there's other metrics that Tony looks at and other process, other items on the checklist like price to cash flow, which I'd never heard of and, um, you know, many other metrics that assess value. And then there's also this great sentiment process that's much simpler than a lot of the technical things I'd heard about previously to to marry up with the, you know, the, the value side of it. So you find the company and you find the value, but then you also look at sentiment to make sure you're not buying into the falling knife, which again was something that I wasn't doing. So, and I think most people aren't doing um, if they're classic value type investors. So, mm. so yeah, that's what I'm telling people. And there's, you know, lots of people that are interested, you know, when you, when you talk about a result of 19.5% a year, they're, they're really interested in that. And hopefully people are starting to tune in and, and listen. I was telling Tony on the weekend, I was uh, listening to Tobias Carlyle's podcast with a couple of his mates, and uh, I swear they all sounded like they were going to commit ritual harakiri after the podcast uh, about how how badly value was doing and trying to justify it to themselves. And I don't know, again, I, like even after we've spoken to Tobias, I'm not sure if it's that they're portfolios aren't genuinely are performing well or if they're comparing it to mm. tech stocks and going well it's it's not performing as well as the uh, upper ends of the jet fueled space you know where all this money free money is rolling into the US equivalents you know the Teslas etc i don't know we, what it is that's depressing them so much yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I've, I've increasingly, you know, been changing my thinking or my, I guess, my emotions around long-term perspectives as well. So, like, you know, if Afterpay rockets like it has in the last couple of months, like, good luck to people that are buying Afterpay. I wish you the best. But, you know, I, I, I'm very comfortable with trying to get a, a significant market-beating return like Tony has over a long period of time. That appeals to me much more than, you know, what today's flavour of the month is. So, um so yeah, that's you know that's how I'm feeling about it now. Anyway, and that's all due to you guys. You've done a great job explaining it and you know making it easy for people. I think to follow along. What's a very sophisticated process. So thanks. Thanks, Steve. Oh, you're welcome, Steve. Yeah, and, it's, it's, um, it's great to to hear your success too. Have a think about where we can have dinner when Tony comes up because yeah. you probably know the uh, fancy restaurant space in <laughs> Brisbane much better than I do. Yeah, there's a great French restaurant I just went to, Tony, or also a really good Italian restaurant I went to pre-COVID too that I'd recommend. So depending on what you what you prefer, there's a couple of good options there that I've been to recently. Yeah, I don't really have a preference. Italian sounds good. Excellent. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll chat to Cam and we'll see if see if they're open and they'll let us in. Yeah, good. And if we can get somewhere you know that's a bit quiet too, that's always helpful. Yeah, well, this this one I'm thinking of's got this really nice uh, kind of basement. It's a almost like a bit of a wine cellar type feel to it that you can get as a little private room. So great. if that's a, that'd be a great spot. Yeah, yeah good. Okay. And then let's yeah, just right. cross our fingers and hope all of New South Wales doesn't become yeah. declared verboten by the Queensland government before then. <laughs> that's right. All that Tony brings it with him. Make sure you stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, all right. right. Really. Thanks. Thanks, David. Thanks, Have a good day, Thanks, mate. Steve. Bye.
Cheers. Bye. All right. Mm. Back to just you and me. Um, well, we got a ton of questions, as it turns out. As of Friday, we had none. By Monday, we got a ton. <laughs> um, but before we get into that, I did add something to the notes. Uh, Howard Marks is pitching to Aussies. Did you see that in the fin this morning? No, I haven't read the fin yet. Sorry. Oak Tree Capital Big Wig Pitches to Aussies. Um, he's uh, done some deals with some Australian uh, resellers, I guess, funds here, trying to get them to sell uh, Australian uh, high net worth investors on a new oak tree fund. And I was just trying to, I'm just trying to find it again. Did you, here's a tip for you. Did you, <laughs> I subscribed to the financial review on my iPad, like with their app version. Yeah. <clears throat> Doesn't allow me to read it on, uh, on my desktop. Can't, oh, can't, really? okay. <laughs> can't log in to the desktop version, even though I subscribe to it uh, in the, the iPad version. I've been, I've been having emails with them. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? They go, nah, they're two different, you know, different things and we can't really, you know, do one or the other. And journalism and, is dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to bring it up on my iPad again now. Um, huh. There are currently no articles matching Howard Marks. <laughs> Let me have a look on mine. Hold on. I did see a couple of guys here from Drummond Capital Partners. Got an article about them. Ignoring the contrarian mood of value investors who protested the valuations of growth stocks and backing technology leaders was the right strategy for Drummond Capital Partners, Nick Redaway and Tom Schubert. For many years now, for many years now, you've heard the value guys screaming the tech sector is overvalued and that's failing to look at the fundamentals so okay yep that's pretty pretty true <laughs> yeah um okay i've got the uh the oak tree uh article up on your oh, marks yeah. oak tree capital big wig pitches to aussies yeah now if you Global, scroll down yep. scroll down to the mm-hmm. chart halfway down it mm-hmm. what the proposed strategy characteristics are return objective over cash Got to lock your yeah, money in to, for well, ten he's years. Got three funds: defensive, yeah. core, and opportunistic. Yeah, the defensive is one to one point five percent. Core is two to three. Opportunistic is three to three point five percent. And remember, remember that cash is earning you know point two five percent at the moment. So they're not very big numbers. They're not very big numbers, right? That was. <laughs> <laughs> but and this you're is locking some kind it up as a, a ten-year fund. Yeah, it's a ten-year closed-end fund. Mm-hmm. So uh, what what does basically? A, yeah, well, it's basically an annuity, isn't it? If it's ten years closed fund, so I'm assuming he wants your money for ten years, and he'll pay you three ish percent per year, right? As a as a dividend, guaranteed, right? I imagine it's guaranteed. These things normally are guaranteed. I can yeah, guarantee I it because he's probably making ten percent, and he's giving you three, right? So, yeah. <laughs> does that sound like a good deal? Not to me. Hmm. No, uh, Oak Tree co-chairman Howard Marks, one of the best known investors in the world, fronted a bunch of Australian advisors and high net worth investors last week and told them his firm had historically been very good at investing in and around financial crises. 
In fact, he said, crises had been when Oak Tree had made its best returns. And uh, yeah, so he was pitching them on throwing money into this thing. Yeah, um, I mean, traditionally he was a vulture fund. So he would go, you know, come in when things were undervalued and buy into them. Well, a bit yeah. like Buffett does with his big yeah. deals. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Yeah. That's mm. what Howard Marks is pitching right now. Well, who knows? So I haven't read the article, but I mean... There are people out there who like these kinds of funds. Like if uh, you're a insurance company and you've got to put the money away until people make a claim, these kinds of funds can be attractive to you. It's better than buying a bond and you know getting a smaller interest rate than you're getting from this guy. So there's a market for it, mm. but not, well, not for me. Mm, okay. All right. Well, that's my news of the week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you get anything you want to talk about before we get into the questions? Uh, no, I'm good. Okay. You're stuck with Mark Beaumont's list now. Well, Mark... I thought we do that. I thought we do that last because there's lots oh, okay. of questions here. If we run out of time, we can hold it over. Okay. Yeah. So all right. Well, let's start with some of the Facebook ones. Uh, mm. Dave, uh, question for TK: Once he has bought a low stock, no. Let me start again. Once he has bought a stock, how long does he wait if it's going nowhere before he gives up on it? Forever. Mm. Forever. I don't give up on them unless their sentiment turns down or they uh, announce bad news. I don't yeah. give up on them. Like me trying to write that book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Patience is a virtue, isn't it? <laughs> and it was well rewarded with a good book. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so you just hold on to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, patience is really a key thing to being a value investor because we're waiting for aggression to the mean. We just don't know how long that will take. Right. And you, you, so you're not sitting there going, oh, I could be doing something better with my money right now? Oh, look, that depends. If it um, Generally, I don't think that uh, because, you know, there's always going to be something underperforming in the portfolio and something overperforming. So that's why we have, you know, 20 stocks in the portfolio to, mm. to, to even it out to... 19, 20% returns a year. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't sell it unless there's some good reason to sell it. Have you done any regression analysis on what would have happened in the past if you had sold stocks that weren't going anywhere and replaced them with something else? I haven't, no. Mm. And in your experience, though, the stocks that take a longer time than normal to regress to the mean, uh, do they end up being worthwhile in the long run? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm just trying to, I can't think of a good example of where this has occurred to me because generally what happens is the longest time that something you'll trade sideways for is generally six months. And then we get the next set of results out, which either right. kicks it up or kicks it out. So right. um, I, I can't think of waiting much longer than that, really. Right. Yeah. Mm. I'm struggling to come up with an example where I would have held it for, you know, for years. Mm. Um, without where where it hasn't gone anywhere, they're, they're normally they're normally. I mean, somewhere else in this question, they talk about stocks without much uh, with thin volumes, and and those ones, you know, they may not move much at all between announcements because, you know, brokers aren't covering them. They're not they're not uh, they're not held very widely by by funds. Uh, so you are waiting for the uh, six monthly announcements of results to to move those stocks. Mm. So I would think be patient and um, you're probably going to wait for six months. Right. Like with uh, friends at Schaefer Corp. 
Yeah. You see they were up 9% on Friday? No. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Um, yeah, I was going to talk about Schaefer in, in response to some of these other questions. But yeah, so Schaefer's an example of a stock that uh, we've received an announcement about. And they said that their profit will be flat for the year. And that even even with that flat profit, some of it's going to be made up from uh, gains in their investment. So in other words, the operating part of the business is, didn't do too well. But um, when I plugged the numbers that were available into the spreadsheet, I thought they'd still come out with a price to cash flow less than seven. So I was willing to hold on to them and, and watch what the, the share price did. And it's bounced. So sometimes you get what's called a relief rally, even though the news has been bad. Um, and I don't know how bad Schaefer's news really is. It said it's, you know, I mean, Schaefer is a company that that has uh, its major operations being supplying leather seats to premium car manufacturers. And we know that car manufacturing's been hit badly by COVID. So... It's not really news that Schaefer has, has had a, a bad half. Um, I guess we'll you know, see what happens when the actual figures come out, but they've just sort of said that in their announcement that they've had a bad half mm. uh, and the share price went up. So sometimes you get what's called a relief rally that people think the news could be much worse. It comes out bad and they go, well, that's a relief. We'll buy the stock. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. It, it does pay to be a bit patient on these things. Mm. So again, uh, Dave, the uh, a, a, according to the holy book of Tony, our Bible, the Getting Started Guide, there are three reasons Tony will sell a stock. One, they come out with bad news. Two, uh, they breach the three-point sell trend line. Or three, uh, he needs cash for hookers and blow. Um, those are the only three reasons <laughs> he'll sell a stock. And three hasn't been uh, used for a very long time. Before. <laughs> well, you've got the Greek cleaning ladies. You don't need <laughs> Brazilian. Brazilian. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and number two, like number two, the sell for, on bad news, like I just said, Schaefer came out with some bad news, but it was p- potentially better than what people expected. So we're getting a bit of a relief rally going on. So mm. the bad news has got, you know, the bad news that can affect the share price that I'm thinking about is things like Qantas coming out and saying they're going to sack 4,000 staff. Uh, is that bad or, news? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean they're, they're cutting really their costs, right? So if they're massively cutting their costs. Doesn't that perhaps mm-hmm. mean that they're going to actually be more profitable than they would have been otherwise? Yeah, potentially. Like each, each sort of release has to be looked at, at in context, but, but we know that Qantas is doing, you know, doing it bad, so that was bad yeah, news. Right. Um, but other things like, you know, I think there was a case where one of our companies came out with a qualified audit, so that's bad news, and we sold the yeah. stock. That was, I think, EWC from memory. Um, yeah, so they're, they're kind of the examples of bad news that uh, might, you know, might, might make me sell the stock straight away. I think that was Zimplats, man, because I... Oh, Zimplats, them. right. Okay. Bloody, yeah, they went splat. <laughs> Zim went splat. <laughs> uh, yep. Okay, uh, second part of Dave's question, and following on from returns from small caps versus large caps, it's a question he had for us last week, is there any point buying small caps with no liquidity as they're a pain in the butt to sell mm-hmm. and often their price doesn't reflect sentiment? And then in brackets, he's put someone buys $100 worth price changes. Yeah, so what he means is there is that small parcels can make the share price tick up or tick down. 
ah. and um, have a big effect on sentiment if you're looking at right. the graph. Right. Uh, well, you know, as I've said before, I'd only buy these thinly traded stocks if you have a Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. And also we get a, a... private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it so check that out qavpodcast.com.au but as i said if you're brand new and you want to you're trying to figure out what's going on go back and listen to season three episodes one three and five 301 303 and 305 and then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well all of the free episodes in season one where we go into a lot of detail about tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with. If you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.